Hello, world. This episode of the Yadawas is brought to you by Transformative Learning Community Education. Uh, again, this is a tutoring service that I created. Um, what makes this tutoring service stand out is that it emphasizes uh, life coaching as well as academic uh, tutoring, right? There are a lot of tutoring services out there that focus on test prep, um, becoming more efficient in whatever subject you can imagine. But you know, those things can be important, uh, only to a degree though, right? Sometimes it just takes a third party to help sort out the confusion that is school. The initial consultation is for free, during which I generate a learner profile and obtain a general sense of, you know, what motivates the kid uh, to learn and grow. Um, from then, we move on to goal setting in the latter sessions and discuss ways to achieve those goals. So it's a great way for uh, parents, teachers, and myself to to really work together and uh, increase the the success of our kids. So visit tlced.coach for more information. That's tlced.coach. Again, visit tlced.coach and schedule your free consultation today. My only regret from this episode was that I should have kept recording our conversation after the interview. Stories about his lost boy days at Shakir Martial Arts Club, or how to hip toss someone with optimal damage, or stories about his favorite YouTube wormholes and the video games that never cease to amuse. But I wanted to be conscientious of his time, considering the 6,000 application essays Rob Ellis must read. I complain when I have 30 papers to grade. During childhood, Rob survived because he did what he had to do. But he got to where he is because curiosity filled his sails. I mean, who wouldn't want to venture beyond the walls of their home? Or in Rob's case, beyond his car doors. At the age of 11, he remembers counting the cars at the stoplight for fun, when he and his dad had to live in one for a couple of weeks. Now, both as a Northwestern alumnus and senior assistant director of admissions, He's pretty much the gatekeeper to your college dreams, kids. But when he's not raining on parades, Rob visits schools to help the next generation of leaders navigate the initial stages of post-secondary education. Authenticity works, and storytelling amplifies it, so Rob tries to do that, and the kids listen. Even though fans will have disagreements about how Game of Thrones ended, the writers got the sentiment right. Stories bring people together. Whatever his style is, it's used to make a point, to answer the why. From a young man of Harvey to a purple wildcat, Rob sits on top of desks, admiring the beautiful world from his view. All right. We are now doing this. Perfect. What's up, uh, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Yadawis Podcast, and I would like to introduce my guest, Robert Ellis. He is the uh, he works for the uh, application process at Northwestern University, and he is the associate director. Is that right? Uh, senior assistant director. Senior assistant director, and um, <clears throat> I've known Robert for almost like what 
maybe a year or so. Uh, I, I know I know him through uh, my coworker Nicole, uh, who worked at Lane, who works at Lane Tech. I used to work at Lane Tech, and um, you know the reason why I I really want you on this sh- show is because, uh, I mean, I, I love your authenticity. Um, you have a really an interesting story that uh, I think everyone should should hear and um, you know you're just a really cool guy and I, I, I really appreciate uh, your candor you know when we talk about certain things uh, especially when it comes to higher education um, education equality with opportunities um, and you know I just want to hear more about you because uh, definitely definitely an interesting guy so welcome I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, man. So um, let's start then. What What is it that you do at Northwestern? For those of us who don't know, um, you know, what is your world like? What got you into working at Northwestern and in the position that you are in right now? Yeah. So I work in the Office of Undergraduate Admission at Northwestern. Um, I do uh, all cycles of the admissions process. So recruitment, um, reading, yield, and then planning as well. Um, and so previously, I was the admissions counselor over Chicago and Chicago Public Schools. Um, and then I recently moved to a new uh, region. Um, and so I'll do file review is the majority of my job. Um, but I also give presentations and I talk to uh, families and students about uh, admission at Northwestern, but also, you know, across colleges in general. Um, and that's one of my favorite things that I get to do. Um, I also am responsible for African-American recruitment at Northwestern. Um, and then I dabble in uh, low-income students and then um, undocumented students as well. And then recently I added uh, students interested in transferring mm-hmm. um, to my uh, job responsibilities as well. Um, and so right now in the winter, we're in our reading season. Um, and so all I do is sit at home and look at a computer for 10 hours a day. <laughs> nice. I mean, what what really fascinated me about your <clears throat> when you were telling us about what you do, um, it was the amount of applications that you read. Mm-hmm. And so like on an average, and I know that you told me the number before, but uh, what on an average, how many applications do you read during reading season? Yeah. So last year, um, I read a grand total um, of 2,700 applications. Uh, This year, uh, my load has more than doubled. um, So it's projected uh, that I'll end up reading somewhere around 6,000 applications. Um, And they get read by multiple people. So um, it's not just me who's reading them, um, but now I'm the second set of eyes that's on them. So to make sure that everything was caught um, and that uh, we're making kind of sound decisions. And so uh, we'll go through a two-person process. And if we both agree, and then that's that's it. And if we disagree, then it'll go to committee and then we'll argue about it. So um, deciding if someone gets in or they don't get in or if, or if they're on the wait list. So um, it's a lot of nuance. Um, there's a lot of, um, what do you say, responsibility on us to be uh, impartial and to kind of make the decisions uh, the way that we should. And so one of the things that I always have to do is to make sure that we're treating everyone fairly. And so as an example, we know 
that culturally uh, people of color like to tell stories in in thematic sort of, of ways. They're not very chronological. Um, you know, they could be talking about visiting their grandmother in the hospital um, and they'll jump from, you know, seeing their grandmother to going to the gift shop and getting her a bear. But that might have happened first. And like the story doesn't make sense in that order, but it makes sense kind of as a theme. And re remembering that, you know, people communicate differently based on their cultures and understanding that. So mm. like, as an, <clears throat> another example would be that international students use very kind of big language, a lot of hyperbole. Um, and just knowing that they're going to do that and that it sounds weird, but it's, it's perfectly fine. That's, I, that's really interesting. And I've really thought about that because I think in Filipino storytelling, it's kind of the same way. Like you do focus on a theme and, and sometimes there's, I mean, like a lot of the storytelling is based on folklore. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, we, there's so many stories about like, uh, you know, ghosts and, and, uh, uh, you know, the way that it, that's tied to our our ancestry and like even our religion, you know, like the Philippines is, is heavily Catholic. And so, um, a lot of these stories are kind of embedded in those, those thematic concepts that have been, you know, ingrained in our religion. Um, so with that said, like, how do you, how do you kind of determine what, what application or essay is, is good based on like, what are some of your expectations and how do you get your head into, this process, like when you know that there's going to be a, a chunk of, of essays to read? Yeah. So one of the things that we try not to do is to judge students on what it is they're writing about, um, because I might completely disagree with you 100% of the way. But what I'm supposed to be doing is trying to figure out who are you as a person? What is it that you're going to contribute to the university, to our campus culture and community? Um, and can you write at a college level? And so I'm not a college professor. Um, so what I'm basing this on is my own experiences in college. You know, are you at the level of a freshman? Um, and, you know, are you going to need a little bit of help? Are you going to need support? Um, and so most students' essays are perfectly fine, right? Um, but then there are there's a small subset of essays that are just bad. Um, they have a lot of grammar mistakes. They don't use the right sort of syntax. Um, they just have just a lot of different problems. And then there's a very small group of them that I would say are excellent. Mm -hmm. The storytelling's great. The imagery's great. Um, you know, like everything just kind of works out. Uh, one of the things that I hope that students will do is that they'll not only tell me a story, but they'll also kind of analyze why that's important to them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times students will just tell me the story. Um, and so I was talking uh, to my wife yesterday about a student was writing about his experience um, as a camp counselor uh, for little kids. And this kid put a frog in his book bag. Um, and I really wanted to know what happened to the frog. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what I was interested in. And he just kind of left the frog alone. Um, <laughs> and like coming back and remembering, like, just because you're interested in the frog and you want to know what happened to the frog, that that's not the story that he's telling. He's trying to, you know, explain to me why this was an important experience to him. Um, and so bringing it back to me um, and thinking about, you know, what is it that he wanted me to learn and did I learn that thing about him? Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes that can be really hard. It's, it's really hard when people write about things that you just don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, something that students love to write about, even though you, you tell them just not to do it, 
um, they'll write about religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't know who's on the other side, mm-hmm. um, who's reading that, what, it, what are their beliefs. Um, and so it becomes really difficult to kind of set aside your biases in that sort of way. And so that's why it's really important that we're just, you know, really examining what it is that they're, uh, like they're writing itself and not the topic. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I mean, it gets hard. Um, and then there are some topics that you just shouldn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years ago, I met a student on the road, absolutely loved him. He, I mean, he was great. He was getting in. It didn't matter. And then he wrote about how he was not attracted to black women, which is perfectly fine. You can feel that way if you want to. You just don't write about it. You got unlucky. You know, a black person read, two black people read your application. And we're like, no, you're not culturally aware enough Mm -hmm. um, to know not to talk about that. Um, And so like that sort of thing will happen. Um, And that wasn't necessarily a judgment on what he wrote about. His writing was fine. Um, but it's, you know, how mature are you? Mm -hmm. Um, can you actually contribute to the community in the way that we want you to? Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, if you don't like people, you don't have to tell me. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you're, you're part of kind of, you have to see something that is bigger than yourself. And it, it really is hard to do that, especially at, at that age, because I mean, you, you are also starting kind of a new chapter in your life as a a student who's going into the college world. And, you know, it's like, I know that there there are some students who don't really have, you know, the, the opportunities or not, not not even opportunities, but like maybe even like the care to, to see what's, what's out there and like beyond them. Um, And that's certainly something that like I regret not doing enough of like i think that i i really could have taken more advantage of like my college experience Mm -hmm. you know um because i for me like for sure i didn't really put enough thought into the college process i certainly don't remember writing an essay that was like you know self-reflective or anything i kind of just answered the question because for me choosing college was not you know, I, I definitely didn't, it was very lukewarm for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, like, how was it, how was it for you in college? Like, what was your experience like? And do you typically kind of look at some of the essays? I, I know you mentioned this earlier that kind of resonate with your experience at Northwestern too. Yeah. So it's really fascinating, right? Um, when, when I think about how I ended up, so I, I attended Northwestern, um, as well. So I twice, in fact, um, but I ended up at Northwestern truly on accident. It wasn't something that I had ever thought that I was going to do. So, um, you know, I'm in high school. I'm doing well because I like to learn. That's really all it is. I'm in these AP classes because, you know, they when they put me in classes that aren't tough, then I just, you know, I act out. So, you know, I have a lot of time. I do the work. Um, and my senior year rolls around. And my teachers are asking me, they're saying, you know, you know, Robert, where are you going to college? And it's like, no, I'm not going to go to college. I mean, they're like, well, why wouldn't you go to college? That doesn't make any sense. Um, it's like, yeah, well, you know, it's just it's not in the, the cards for me. And so, you know, one of my teachers says, you know, you can miss school um, and it not count against your attendance um, if you visit colleges. And at the time, if we miss less than two days of school, we didn't have to take finals. And I was like, cool. Well, then I'm just going to go visit these colleges. It's only going to take a few hours and I can sit at home and chill. Um, and then, you know, the time to s- submit applications happens 
And they're like, well, you know, where are you applying to? I'm like, I'm not applying to college. I'm not going. I don't have any money. It's too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, well, you can get scholarships. And I'm like, I'm not, you know, that's rolling the dice. I'm not going to bank on that. Um, and you don't realize how easy it is to get scholarships. And now that I'm on this side, it's incredible how easy it is. But, you know, they appealed to me by saying, you know, Robert, don't you want to move out of your parents' house? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I want to move out of their house. And like, well, you can live on campus. I'm like, well, then I'm sold, right? <laughs> and so I put my eggs in some incredibly high stakes baskets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I apply to Northwestern. I apply to U Chicago. I apply to uh, Wash U in St. Louis. Um, and, and that's basically it, right? Like I'm, you know, I have no idea about selectivity. I don't know, you know, that I'm reaching. Um, I'm just like, these are the places that I would like to go. And I ended up getting into Northwestern, which is the one that I like the most. Um, and then I got a full ride to Northwestern, loan free. Um, and it was great. And I was like, all right, well, now I'm just going to go to college. And that's literally how it ends up happening. Um, there wasn't, you know, I was smart, but I didn't project that I was going to make it there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so now I read these applications and I, I know that these are, you know, a lot of people are striving to go to college. They want to go. And a lot of people don't know what to write about. They don't know what it is that we're looking for. They don't know that just writing a narrative mm -hmm. um, isn't enough, right? Because they're not being coached and they're, um, you know, getting advice is really hard. It's really difficult. And so I, I try to put myself back to being 17 when I applied and I wrote this terrible story. Um, and I, I took it to my English teacher and he brings it back and it's just completely red. Um, and, you know, he used some uh, language that I won't repeat, but, you know, just basically like, you, you know, you need to rewrite this. Mm -hmm. um, and it was just really interesting. And I think about, you know, you have so many different opportunities to, you know, do your application. Um, and, you know, they give you time to do it in school now. And I didn't have that. I didn't have a computer. I had to go to the library. I'd do all these things. And I worked full time as well. Um, and so I just remember, like, how hard it is to do that um, and how hard it is just to be a teenager. Right. Um, and so, you know, we're looking at these essays. You, you write these essays. It's the only thing you have control over at that point. Um, and I don't want to judge you on, you know, you have 650 words, like, what are you going to write about? Um, and so, you know, it, it doesn't really matter as much as people think it does. I just want to know that you can write well. Mm -hmm. Like last year, my favorite essay, somebody wrote about buying a water bottle off of Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just this dumb topic, right? Um, but he he goes through his thought processes and like why it is that he's making these decisions. And I learned so much about him kind of in that one, you know, 650 word piece. Um, mm -hmm. And that's all that I'm looking for. So, you know, you write about whatever you want to, but I wasn't sophisticated in high school. I don't think I was. I'm not very sophisticated now. Mm -hmm. um, and some of these kids just are. So, um, you know, just being authentic and yeah, um, all of that is really important. But just taking a step back and remembering that, um, you know, You've been in high school for four years. Every year matters. What is it that you've done? What have you accomplished? What is it that you do? And what are you projecting that you're going to do moving forward? And mm -hmm. we know it's going to it's going to change for most people. Um, over fifty percent of students 
will change her major at least once. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, you want to be a doctor today and then tomorrow, you know, it's a lawyer. So, yeah. you know, we're not going to hold you to it. Right. And I, I think for, you know, you bring up two good points. One is, I, is it true that there's a growing sentiment of students who just don't want to apply to college because they can't afford it? Because that, that's something that is always rattling around in a lot of people where they're like, you know, what's the point? Like, I'm going to be in debt for, you know, the a good number of my life. I have to pay that back. You can't get rid of that debt. Like, that's that gnaws away at people who truly want to <clears throat> to go to college and it turns them off about it. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and the other thing, too, is I think a lot of perhaps students feel that they haven't done anything extravagant. And I don't necessarily think that they have to, like you said, they just have to kind of be authentic and tell them about themselves and what their, their purpose and vision is, which I think is another thing that is lacking in some, some students is that, you know, they, they kind of have this defeatist attitude of like, well, you know, what does it matter? Like mm -hmm. things are going to turn out poorly anyway. Um, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is do you see that a lot now? Um, because that certainly is the attitude that, that I had at first and certainly you have at first. Yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting is talking to people about, um, financial aid in particular, right. And you think about, uh, college can be affordable, you know, if you match to the right sort of place. So, um, Northwestern's affordable for people who don't have a lot of money, right. Um, you know, we'll meet 100% of demonstrated need. Um, but the way that we measure need maybe isn't so fair to people who um, have a lot of assets but don't make a lot of money, right? And so maybe Northwestern's not the place for you, but you know there are lots of colleges and universities who'll give you great merit scholarships. Um, I always tell students that you know whether or not you apply to Northwestern, one of the things that you want to do is pick at least one school to apply to by their you know, early action deadline, because that's how you best get merit aid. Um, and so if you're doing engineering, that's typically October 15th. If you're doing anything else, it's November 1st. And you want to be in by that day so that you can get merit aid. Um, and it makes a big difference um, because a lot of schools, they'll talk about how much it costs and they'll only talk about tuition and they don't talk about room and board, which typically adds another, you know, $15,000. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're not planning on commuting, um, I mean, that's a huge cost. It typically financial aid doesn't cover. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're making those decisions in that sort of way. One of the things that's really important, too, is to really think about, you know, what is it that you want to get out of college? Um, a lot of what you learn in college is critical thinking. Um, it's not necessarily how to do a job. It's how to think on the job. Mm. Um, and you just need kind of that credential. Um, and so it might not be so important to you to go to, you know, like a tier zero school like Northwestern, um, you know, maybe it's perfectly fine for you to go to, a, you know, your normal state school. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's perfectly fair. And I completely understand that. Um, but it's really thinking about what it is that you're going to get out of your experience. And then what is it that you want to do now? And what are other things you think you might be interested in doing? And so a lot of times students will apply to Northwestern as an example and say, you know, they really want to do 
um, biological sciences because Northwestern is one of the top 10 schools in the country for pre-med. Um, but then they don't realize that they have to take chemistry. Um, mm -hmm. And gen chem is really hard at Northwestern. We don't have a pre-med section of chemistry. You have to take the chemistry that chemistry majors take. Um, and that will, I mean, it, it hurts to, you know, get a grade that's not an A or a B or a C. Um, and so like, can you overcome that sort of thing? You know, do you have the grit and the determination and the persistence to be able to say, you know, maybe being a doctor is not for me, or maybe I need to take a year after I finish my four years to, to finish these requirements, um, and seeking help. So, uh, one of the people that I work with, um, you know, we make fun of him all the time because he got into Berkeley um, which is a really hard school to get into. And he decides to go to Wheaton. Mm -hmm. um, and we're like, why would you do that? Mm -hmm. um, and it was this one very specific program at Wheaton that he wanted to do. And then he ends up switching his major to sociology. Wow. Um, and you're like, well, that was kind of a waste, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, you, you have to think about what is your plan B before you, you know, you pick an institution to go to, to, um, and, and there's nothing wrong either with deciding that you don't want to go to college necessarily, but you have to have a plan. Yeah. Um, you can't just decide, yeah, I'm just not going to go. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, that's a terrible plan. Um, you know, if you want to be a carpenter, figure out what it is that you need to do to become a carpenter or an electrician or, you know, things like that. You know, one of the things that I thought I was always going to do was that I was going to manage a Burger King. I worked at Burger King in high school I was going to manage a Burger King, but there's no clear path to becoming a manager of a Burger King. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you, you know, realize that there are a lot of store managers at fast food restaurants have college degrees mm -hmm. um, and they pay well. It's not like a glorious sort of job, um, you know, but thinking about like not everyone's going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Right. Um, those are the jobs that we're told that people do. Um, but I you know, I became an admissions counselor on accident, but I'm like incredibly interested in education. Um, and I really wanted to be an elementary school teacher. No kidding. <clears throat> but that didn't work out. Um, what, and, what didn't work out? Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I was, I was working at a middle school doing curriculum development when I first left Northwestern okay. uh, for special education students. And there was a, teacher there who treated every woman of color incredibly disrespectfully. Mm. Um, and then they were trying to do some mediation between them. And the union just kept telling him not to show up um, because then if he showed up, he was admitting that he was wrong. Mm. Um, and I just, I watched it for six months and I said, I can't work here. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I go in for my end of the year meeting and they, they asked me if I'm coming back, I'm like, I, I'm not coming back. I had no wow. job lined up. I was just like, I'm just not coming back. And then I go back to Northwestern and I work uh, a temp job for a little bit and I just fall into this job. So it had been posted mm -hmm. for six months. They were about to hire somebody that day. Oh, okay. And I had talked to my advisor who had saw the person who was doing the hiring that morning. And the person who was doing the hiring said she was about to hire somebody. She was calling the person that afternoon just randomly. Um, and then my advisor calls and says, don't hire them yet. Interview this guy. He's perfect. Um, and I just end up with the job. So 
uh, Northwestern's is a great platform for me to go to schools and to talk about like, you know, post-secondary planning and educational outcomes. And, you know, people listen to me because it's Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm passionate about Northwestern because I went to Northwestern. Mm-hmm. It's Northwestern isn't necessarily the path that I think everyone should go on. Sure. Yeah. So, so I want to actually, what, what grade level did you want to do for elementary school? Yeah. So I wanted to be like in an elementary school, I'm like third or fourth grade, No kidding. you know, because so I did a lot of research in college on educational outcomes Uh specifically for underrepresented minorities. And you realize that after, you know, third or fourth grade, if students can't read, then they're just not going to make it anywhere. Um, and there's like nothing that anyone can do. And so you have to get them then. And so I felt like the most impact I could have on the community was third or fourth grade. Like that's what I was going to do. I was going to teach. Um, and I was ready to go back and to get this credential and Northwestern had this program and um, it was going to be great. And then when I was applying for it, uh, they shut it down. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So that's how I end up not becoming a teacher. Wow. Is there any... Any like, you know, feelings of wanting to perhaps try it again, maybe go back and seek out maybe, uh, you know, that grade or maybe even something a little higher? Yeah. I mean, I think about it sometimes, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, doing the normal thing that people do is like, I don't like my job today. Right. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, I go home and I'm like, my job's perfectly fine. I'm just, you know, complaining. Um, But I I think about it and I think about how, you know, there are ways that I can make a difference otherwise, too. Um, I don't think teaching's in my, in the cards for me anymore because I'm like far too, I don't know, like laid back. And now in my job, if kids act up, I can Mm -hmm. just leave. I'm like, yep, I don't get paid to babysit you. So goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas if I was a teacher, I'd actually have to like solve that problem. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, I've gotten too used (laughs) to just, you know, leaving. So (laughs) can't leave the classroom. You gotta. (laughs) Yeah, man. It's, it's like, it's like once you kind of see the other side of, of what it is not teaching, like how it's like, it's, it's so it's it's a different world because again like for me i mentioned in the other episode before this one was like you know for 13 years you're you're in the classroom you're kind of in the routine and then all of a sudden boom it's like it stops and i am subbing at uh, a district in dupage county i'm not gonna be specific because i still work there but um it's middle school and i've always wanted to teach middle school and i know that at lane tech i taught the the seventh grade program here but like this is just a middle school and kind of like what you were saying about third and fourth grade i also feel that that way in like sixth seventh and eighth grade it's like you know you could the the idea that you could really be impressionable and kind of put kids in a positive trajectory for their lives i think it it is around you know middle school um i didn't know about the third and fourth grade thing but uh you know middle school i feel like just it's you're, you're confused. You're growing at a, a faster rate. Um, you're emotional. And it's like, man, that, that's stuff that like is really interesting. So like for me, I really appreciate the position that I'm in now, but also I also enjoy being able to step back and be like, I could kind of like, I could breathe. I could breathe. It's not, you know, suffocating, but I love that you enjoy 
going around to other places and talking. And I want to know what that that's like for you. Like, what is it that you do when you do when you speak um, to to students uh, when you give presentations? Like, what what do you enjoy about it? Yeah. So one of the things um, that I really like about going to, to the high schools and talking to students is that it's a conversation between me and them. Um, it can be about Northwestern if they want it to be, or it can be about whatever it is that they want. Um, one of the things that's really shocking to students and to teachers uh, about me when I'm talking to students is how kind of uh, frank I am about mm -hmm. everything. Um, and I just don't, I have no reason to lie. So um, they're always very taken aback by it. And then that's how I end up getting invited back. Cause they're like, the kids loved you, mm -hmm. you know, you're so truthful. Um, like, and I do things that they know that I'm not supposed to do, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'll show up um, to a visit. Maybe I'm eating yogurt and I'm talking to kids and they know I'm not supposed to eat in the, the classroom. I was told I'm not supposed to eat in the classroom and I do it anyway. Right. <laughs> or, um, I went to a, a very prestigious, uh, private school. Um, and they pulled out a chair for me and they said, we would rather you not sit on the desk. And I wasn't going to sit on the desk until they said something to me, <laughs> right? And so I, and then I sit on the desk and I'm like, you know, just swinging my legs. And I'm like, what do y'all want to know? <laughs> um, and, every, and the kids just find it so funny because yeah. the, the teacher doesn't stop me. They're not like, you know, Mr. Ellis, could you please um, get off the desk? Because now it's awkward. Right. <laughs> um, it, but the kids, they just, they just love that sort of thing. Um, and I just want them to feel comfortable yeah. and just know I'm a real person. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just here to help them. So one of the more interesting things that ends up happening is that the kids, they really think that I'm trying to like, you know, tell them, you know, do a misdirection, right? Mm -hmm. Where I tell them one thing and it's something else. And it's like, I, I literally have no reason to lie to you. Mm -hmm. um, I want you to be successful. I want you, you know, to accomplish your kind of goals and your dreams. Um, and I just love to hear from students about what it is they want to do um, and then try to figure out ways that I can help them to really figure out what it is that's a good path for them. Um, and so I, I make it, you know, my goal to understand kind of where people are and what kind of programs are available, kind of where they're at. Um, like nursing, as an example, is very popular, but Northwestern doesn't have nursing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so knowing what institutions in the area have nursing and kind of what are the moves that they should make to be able to do that. Um, and then a lot of students are very surprised that, you know, you can go to a community college. There are lots of community colleges mm -hmm. that offer four-year programs in nursing. Mm. Um, and because they're two-year institutions, you don't think, you know, they have this four-year program. But then, you know, you become a nurse at a fraction of the cost. Um and so just just knowing those types of things. But my favorite thing is really just talking to students and kind of building those connections. I meet so many kids mm -hmm. um, that I don't get to really build a very strong relationship with students. But, you know, in that moment, um, they have someone that they can talk to who, you know, they, you know, more than likely will never see again. Mm -hmm. And so they can just ask me whatever it is that they want to. Um, and I'm pretty authentic about it. Um, but I'm, I also want them to know that like, you know, your teachers aren't lying to you. Mm. You know, what they're saying to you is true. When I was in school, I didn't believe them either. 
Um, and that's natural, but you want to make sure that, you know, if they tell you to do something that you probably just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I love that part of it. When I present on campus, I'm a little bit more formal because anybody can be there. Um, and so I try not to, um, horse around as much. Um, I have a great story about a trustee, um, that I really can't tell, but, uh, it's kind of funny. Um, and so I, my favorite thing presenting on campus is just to tell jokes. I love to tell jokes. Yeah. So, um, and they're just real dry, very smart jokes <laughs> and I just keep going too. And so people are used to, you tell a joke and you pause. Yeah. It's like, I just keep going, you know, I, there's no reason to pause. If you got it, you got it, whatever. Yeah. And that's my favorite part. So that's cool. Um, I love speaking in front of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have kind of like an act like you, I mean, like in terms of like your format, like you have a, a specific outline in your head and you kind of just like, do you like work out material sometimes? Like, okay, that joke didn't work. I'm going to try this one next time. Yeah, I do that all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I really <laughs> want my jokes to land. Yeah. Um, because I also know that like it is boring mm-hmm. to sit and listen to just information for 40 yeah. minutes. Nobody wants to do that. I don't want to do it. I don't want other people to have to do it. Um, and so I try to make it more kind of fun in that way. Um, but then parents will come up to me, at least one parent will come up to me every time I give a presentation and go, you don't take Northwestern seriously. (laughs) So why you tell so many jokes? It's like, I'm not trying to appeal to you. I'm so sorry. Um, you know, (laughs) if you want it dry, you shouldn't have came here. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's, that's really important too, is to just know, like, you know, you, you sit in on these college presentations and they all sound the same, Yeah. you know, and, and part of it is, you know, who are the people who are giving the presentation? What is it that you're learning from those people? Like what kind of perception do you get from the campus based on who's giving you the presentation? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I stopped wearing a suit jacket into my presentation first. It's hot, but then also like, why am I so formal? Yeah. Um, and we have a podium and I don't stand behind the podium. I like to walk around. I like to talk mm-hmm. to people. Um, when the audience gets interactive, I get interactive back. Um, and so I like to tell sports jokes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will always be someone who I, I offend. You yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> and sometimes they like, will say something to me and then we'll, we'll have a little bit of banter for 30 seconds. And I'm like, I'll talk to you after the presentation. <laughs> Um, and then we keep going, you know, and, and it's just a lot of fun. Um, and I want people to remember, you know, when I read their essays and they're like, oh, you know, I met Mr. Allison. He was so funny. Um, you know, you were, you were paying attention right now, whether or not you thought I was funny, doesn't matter. I think I'm funny. You don't have to think I'm Mm -hmm. funny. Um, I tell my jokes, if I have a, you know, my six jokes that I want to tell in a presentation, if no one laughs at the first one, I'm going to tell the other five still. Yeah. Like, I do not care. Mm-hmm. Um, unless I'm having a bad day, then it's like, you know what? I'm just going to talk at you. Right. Um, and, but that's a lot of fun, too. Um, the, the worst part about all of it is questions. So Yeah. Why is that the worst part? I mean, because people, they ask questions that they know the answer to, okay. but they just want to be shocked by it. Um, and so like, I'll get asked, what's the percentage of students who come in through early decision? And it's, you know, it's about 50% and then everybody's like, Ooh, you know, Mm. and it's like, but you, you knew that that's a very easy statistic to find. Mm. Um, 
And then like they'll want to end on that question. It's like now we're all sad. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, ask me a fun <laughs> question. You know? Or, you know, everyone wants to know about our honors program in medical education. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. You don't really want me to talk about it. Um, you're really excited about it until I start, you know, spewing statistics. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's those types of things where, like, I don't, I know the answers to the questions. I will answer all of your questions 100% of the way. But it's also like, you know, why are you trying to bring my mood down? <laughs> <laughs> I love that though, man. Like, because you're absolutely right. When it comes to like presentations, when it comes to, you know, even like even with teaching, you you get into the script a little bit too much. And I mean, as you know, when you're like right dead in the middle of the year, I mean, you can't help just like, you know, say what is on that paper and like not even try to take risks and be inventive and be unique because you're just tired at that point. But I think what really catches students and kids' ears is like doing things that um, are just honest, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, going back to authenticity, it's, it's, it really is all about just being truthful to them. It's very straightforward, um, kind of talking to them like an adult, um, because they, they're in tune with that. Like they, they listen to that, that catches their ear. Um, and that's awesome that you get to, to kind of dabble with that. You know, that's, uh, I'm sure that that's the highlight of a lot of people's jobs is when there's a lot of visceral connect, like interaction between, um, people who are just curious, you know, and, um, who just want to, to, uh, to get to know not only what the school is, but like who you are, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, that's, that's super cool. Did you, what are some good questions that they ask you? Oh, like, good what are, questions. Yeah. Um, ones that are interesting and I mean, it's so much easier to think of bad questions. Um, <laughs> like, like some of the things that, um, I'm going to open up another one of these, by the way, do you want some? No, I'm good. Okay. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that I think, people ask that's really kind of interesting is we go to, you go to college and you just think about the academics and that's great, but you don't realize that you spend less than a third of your time in the classroom. Um, And so you really should be asking about student life and what is it that people do and, you know, what do people do in their free time? You know, what kind of activities are available? You know, I'm really interested in this. Do you have opportunities for it? Um, like those types of questions where you think about, <clears throat> you know, we have a psychology major. Um, you've already looked. Um, you can see the curriculum. It's right there. Like all of that stuff is set in stone, you know, but if you're really interested in the Native American experience, you know, you want to know, like, what is it that I get to do? you know, as someone who is Native American or someone who is interested in Native American um, kind of culture, right? Um, And so you want to be able to ask those types of questions. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me where are good places to eat. Um, And these are things that you don't think about. You're like, you know, I'm going to go to college. It's going to be great. uh, But you don't want to be miserable either. And I don't think you should pick a college based on the restaurants that are around it. Mm -hmm. But I also think that that's something that if you really can't pick between two, there's nothing wrong with saying this one has better food. Mm-hmm. You know, um, most colleges serve the same exact food on campus, <laughs> right? And so it's really just thinking about what's in the area. Yeah. 
um, like that type of thing. Um, but a lot of our students who want to come to Northwestern are really, really like career focused. And so they're like, how am I going to get from here to here? Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I have no idea how you're going to make it to where you want to um, because you, you have to understand that 50% of people will change. I mean, they just change their mind just up and just decide, yep, yeah, no, nope, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. um, and so really thinking about like, what is the experience that I'm going to get? Like I at Northwestern took 46 classes, 48 classes. Um, I can name two, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you every student group that I was a part of sure. and then the kind of fun things that happened in those groups or, you know, the fun stories of me going to Chili's and uh, the interactions with the wait staff and things yep. like that. Like those types of things are the things that I remember more than, you know, what I learned in, you know, Chem 201 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I just don't know. Um, and those are the things that are going to stay with you. So. I don't think people transfer from colleges because of the academics. Um, it's typically because they just feel like they don't belong in the community. And so those community mm. questions are far more important mm. than the academic questions. And those are also the questions that no one wants to ask. It's, uh, we spend the least amount of time talking about kind of what you can do in the community because, you know, students and their parents just kind of turn off when it's happening because it's like, oh, I'll be able to do whatever I want to. And you don't know that. You know, just because the lake is right there doesn't mean you can row your boat in it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need to ask that question. Yeah. Um, and so those are the questions that get us excited. Um, asking me about the psychology program is going to first the answer is I don't know. Um, but then it's also like it's on the website. So. Right. <laughs> exactly. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because I mean, how what what's a big part of me enjoying DePaul was actually when I was a uh, a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a cheerleader for for my sophomore through senior year, and like it was. That's probably what sticks out the most at being at DePaul was that because, I mean, you learn about other people's worlds. You you are a part of something that you you go to regularly, mm -hmm. uh, three times a week. You know, it's uh, it's challenging, and uh, I don't. I hardly remember the things that I learned in those classes. And um, probably one of the most like important and impressionable moments was was when I actually stepped into the classroom as a as a student teacher, mm -hmm. you know, where I learned a lot, where I, I was actually interacting with those students. Um, that's where I I kind of like learned a lot. Um, and for you, going back to the uh, the essay, I want to know what you wrote about. What was it that <laughs> you what what was it that you put down that your English teacher so so much dismissed? Uh, or corrected. Yeah, so I wrote a I, I wrote a story um, yeah. that had no analysis in it at all, um, <laughs> and I wrote about how I'm half deaf. So I had a, con a concussion when I was in fourth grade, and mm. I lost the hearing on my right side. And I wrote about that, and my teacher comes back to me, and he says, "You know, do you know what a comma is?" Mm. Um, with some words in between there, um, but then he also goes, "So what?" It, so what? Like, why? Why does this matter? Who cares about this? Nobody cares, right? Are you saying that you need accommodations? Like, I don't get it. Mm. Um, and you start to realize, like, this story is important to me, but the it's not the story that's important to the admissions counselors as much as it, as it is, what is it that you learned from mm -hmm. this experience? What are you taking away? You know, how have you grown? Um, you know, what was the impact? Uh, one of the things that students will do 
um, you know, they'll write these stories. The most common story that students write about it are mission trips or community service mm-hmm. trips. And they're just like, I learned so much about other people's culture. And you're like, so what did you learn? Like about culture? Great. But what about it? Mm-hmm. Like what's going to stick with you? Um, why is this important? You think that community service is important to colleges. So you wrote about it, but why? Um, and we don't, we don't get to the why I didn't get to the why someone had to push me to get to why. Um, I just thought it was an interesting story. Um, and you know, when I look back on it, um, you know, the story, it's not, it wasn't that good. Um, Mm -hmm. but the analysis of it, of, you know, the things that I learned, how to pay more attention, how to not always talk all the time, how to, you know, try to make certain that I heard what people are saying. Mm. Um, and sometimes me not hearing means that they think that they need to clarify. And that gives me a little bit more. Um, and so there are lots of uh, kind of like perks that, that I don't even think about, um, you know, one of the things that bothers my wife is that if I'm laying on my left side and I'm asleep, I can't hear anything. Nothing's going to wake me up. Right. Um, which is terrible. Like if someone breaks into my house, it's a done deal. But like, I, man, I'm going to sleep, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's like great to me. And I don't, it's, it's not something that I think about um, because I have this disability, but um, you know, those types of things are really important to us. Like, um, and you know, when I was 17, I didn't, I didn't get it, but my teacher got it. And so it was just really important for me to listen to him. I'll sometimes I'll do these essay writing workshops in the summer for students. Um, and they'll cry because they're like, you didn't like my story. And it's like, it's not that I don't like your story. You just spent too much time on the story. Like, I want to know what is it you learned from this? Yeah. And the students think like, but you, I told you what I learned. And it's like, you know what you learned because you are you. Um, but that doesn't mean that I found out what you learned. Like I maybe I got to the end of it and I'm like, man, this is a great story, mm-hmm. but so what? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really hard. Sometimes students are really connected to their story. Um, and you don't want them to think that their story is bad. Um, cause it's not bad. It's, you know, it's their lived experience, but um, you know, getting them beyond the story is really hard. Um, and telling a compelling story to a stranger in 650 words is even harder. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it gets tough, but, you know, you got a lot of time to do it. Yeah. So, so how'd you get a concussion? Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, <laughs> so um, I was, um, there was a guy who was selling um, weed. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I'm just outside the school and he's like, um, you know, do you want some weed? And I'm like, no, I'm good. Um, and, you know, he kept pressuring me to buy this. And I'm like, I first off, I'm 10. I don't have any money. But also, like, I just don't want any. Um, and so he decided that because, you know, I didn't want any that he he had to beat me up. So I'm 10. I get beat up by this 18-year-old guy. He slams my head into the ground. So I get this concussion. And at the time, it wasn't funny, but when I look back at it, the way that I got home was kind of funny. I had my bike. I was riding my bike, and I would pedal, pedal, fall, pedal, pedal, fall. And I was like, I had to be three or four blocks away. It shouldn't have taken me any time to get home at all, and it took me forever to get home. Um, And I just I woke up in the hospital because 
they couldn't wake me up. Like I would just sleep. No, it was a done wow. deal. Um, you know, um, and at the time the doctor said the ringing in my ear was going to go away. Um, and you know, 19 years later, still ringing, still waiting. Damn. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. That, that is traumatic. And so from all of that, you would expect that I'm like anti-legal weed, but I am not. So. <laughs> but like still that's, I mean, like that I can't, I can't even fathom that because I mean, it, it, that is one of those situations where, you know, you can't, you, you can't change it necessarily. Like you just, these are the circumstances. This is what happened. Um, and yet it's also kind of a weird blessing in disguise because it, it shapes, it shaped you to who you are. Um, and it's kind of giving you, like you said, an opportunity to, to, to be a better listener, to be, um, more acute to, to other people's, uh, I suppose, I don't know, struggles or personal stories mm -hmm. in a way. Um, damn, man. That's, yeah. I mean, I, I try to, to always remember that, um, you know, things happen to people. Um, and even if I think it's this really little thing, that it, it's this really big thing to them. Right. Um, and like that helps me. It reminds me like, um, like, all of these things are really important to people. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't get my hearing back. Like it, it, there's, I only have three or 4% of hearing left in the ear. I can only hear at frequencies that humans don't speak in. So that's not helpful. Wow. Um, and so, you know, like that type of thing, whereas some people are like, well, you know, when do you really need to hear people? Well, you'd be surprised at how many times people sit on your right side. Like if you're driving a car, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it just means I have to make sure that my air conditioner works. So sure. Um, so little things like that. Right. Or um, I'll read stories that people tell and a really popular story for students to tell. Um, the sports narrative is popular, but for some reason, people getting injured running cross country is really popular. Hmm. And they'll talk about this thing like this is the biggest thing in the world. You know, they sprained their ankle or they got a stress fracture or like these things are going to go away. But at the time, it's this huge thing. You know, you don't realize that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. um, it's just trying to remember, like, you know, when you were 15 and you hurt yourself and the world was ending, you have to remember that. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes it's really hard like when I was in grad school and I was reading applications and I'm like writing this huge research paper and I'm reading them and I'm like, man, you guys can't write worth anything. And I'm like, you know, Robert, you have a college degree. Um, <laughs> you, if you can't write better than them, then there's really a problem with you, not with them. <laughs> right. Um, and so that type of thing. But then I'm also so, always so impressed with the things that students end up doing yeah. just based on like these little kind of issues that they've encountered. Um, and so uh, like a kid was really like, they love to read and then they end up going to um, like their friend's house and then they go to the library that's closer to them. And they realize that their library has less books um, and that the kids read less and there's this whole thing. Mm. And then this kid decides that they're going to go to different libraries and find rare books that they're selling that they don't know are rare and they're going to sell them. And 
with the money, they're going to buy more books for these kids. And this kid made a million dollars in four years oh just God. finding these rare books that they're selling for a dollar or two and then selling them. Oh um, and you think about like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> right. Um, if I could have made a million bucks from that, I would have done it a long time yeah. ago. Like I had no idea that there was a market for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and these kids just do it. And it's just based on their passions. And, sure. you know, you get really excited about it because the kids don't think it's that exciting. Um, but you don't realize, like, anything can be exciting. Um, there are kids who, I mean, they manage, you manage straight A's and you work 35 hours a week. It didn't seem like that big of a deal to you because you're in it. Um, but most people can't do that. Yeah. Um, and so just remembering those types of things, um, you know. I there are just still lots of things that I can't do that these kids manage to do. Sure. Um, and I'm reminded of that when I think about like it's not that big of a deal to them, but to me it's this big deal. So, you know, I'm half deaf, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not that big of a deal to me. But then when people learn about it, they're very sympathetic, like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And it's like you wouldn't have known if I wouldn't have said anything. No one knows mm-hmm. um unless I say something to them yeah. about it. Um, or they're paying me a lot of attention because mm-hmm. um, you can see me like listening. Yeah. Um, and so th- that's always really fascinating for people um, to see that like, you know, there was a point where I, so I wanted to be an elementary school teacher, but there was a point where I wanted to be a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being half deaf might be a little bit harder to be a counselor. <laughs> Um, but you know, teaching a class is probably being half deaf is hard too. But, um, you know, when I'm giving presentations and I'm doing all these things, I just have to adjust. I don't force people to adjust for me or anything like that. Um, unless it's, you know, I'm at work and then like, y'all, I need to sit over here. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, I just have to be able to do these things. Yeah. Um, and then you just you just do it. You just do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing like how how resilient not only like kids are, but just how the human body works, man. Like like you your body can adapt to whatever situation if you if if you know willing enough, it it'll take you to that point. Like you just do what you have to do. Um and hell, Jesus, it, it's taken you this this far, man. Like you you are where you are and it's you just had to just deal and do right you know um with that said what, what part of chicago are you from and uh how was that like growing up yeah so i'm originally from the south suburbs of chicago so i grew up in harvey um which is um a low-income suburb it's mostly um black people uh, mexican people um i went to a very low-income school so at the time that i was at the school it was like nine million dollars in debt Mm-hmm. Um, they were building this auditorium that they never got to finish. And it, well, it's finished now. But when I was there, it wasn't done. Um, and so, I mean, that was really interesting. And you're, I'm in this place. Nobody goes to college. Nobody's, like, worried about it. Um, a lot of people don't work. Um, and there's, like, a, a lot of gang violence. And the mayor was selling drugs. It was, like, this whole mm-hmm. thing, right? And it's just, like, this very kind of vicious sort of cycle. Um and to just be there, you know, you're not worried about very much. I knew one person the whole time that I lived there that went to college. Mm-hmm. And she ends up having to drop out. But 
Um, I had I never met anyone other than my teachers who had ever went to college before. Like it just wasn't this thing that people did. Um, and so like that was really fascinating. Um, but then I I had a lot of friends who just didn't work either. Um, and I I worked. I would get on the bus. I'd ride the bus forty five minutes um, to Orland Park, and I would work at Burger King, and you know it was perfectly fine. Um, but just being in a place where, I mean, there's, there weren't a lot of things to do, right? Um, I mean, we used to have fun by, um, I was I was just talking to one of my best friends the other day about how, you know, to have fun, there were these two empty lots across from each other with a bunch of rocks. Mm-hmm. And then we get like five or 10 of us together and we would just throw rocks at each other <laughs> until one team quit, right? And you're like, and now I get, you know, I... I don't want that to happen to me, right? <laughs> but at the time when I was 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. I mean, it was so much fun to throw these rocks oh, at yeah. each other. You get hit by these rocks um, and you're trying to figure out like, how do I dodge the rock and yeah, like yeah. throw the rock at the same time? And, and like, this is a really advanced sort of algorithm. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it was a lot of fun, uh, but there also just wasn't, a, there was just wasn't a lot of opportunity. So um, I just got really lucky in that I love to read. And so I, I read all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what would you read? I mean, anything. Yeah. Um, if you, if you gave me a book, I would just, I'd go for it. Um, I read this book about, it was like part fiction, part nonfiction about a bear, mm-hmm. right. And the life cycle of a bear, but like from this bear's perspective. Um, and I can't remember the name of the book. And it was just, uh, it was just given to me because I would get, I got in trouble all the time um, when I was in school because I, um, I was so advanced because I read all the time that the, the teachers couldn't control me. So like I would okay. finish my work, you know, you'd give kids, I don't know, half an hour to do this assignment. I'd be done in five. Yeah. And now I'm like, all right, so what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was talking to other kids. I would never bother the kids. I was always bothering the teacher. Mm-hmm. And so I would get sat by myself away from everybody. Um, and then I was, I just remember I'm in sixth grade and this teacher's so mean. She's mean to everybody. Um, and I, I mean, I got in trouble all the time. And so I'm like done with my work. It's, it's this big deal. And she gives me like a handwriting worksheet and she's like, do this. And she kept asking me to write T's and she kept giving it back to me saying that I wasn't doing it right. And I'm like, that looks like a T to me. Um, and so we got in this argument about what a T looks like. Um, and I'm like, there, it doesn't, does it matter? You know that it's a T it's not high enough, yeah. but it's, it's a T, you know? And so we're having this, this big debate and she gets <laughs> so mad at me. She just gives me this, she gave me the book about the bear and I read this book. Um, and for, you know, a kid normally in her class, she's like, you know, this should keep you occupied for, you know, two weeks. And I'm like, well, I'm done. It's been two days, mm-hmm. you know, like what's next. So, um, like that, I mean, that was what was keeping me going. Um, I had a lot of good friends and, you know, we did very typical kid things. Um, one of my, uh, one of the memories I, I, I always think about, um, there was a Jehovah witness hall, in um, Harvey and you know they don't have windows and whatever so we've never seen inside of it and we we dared somebody to go in 
and walk to the front. And he goes in, he walks to the front, and we're thinking he's going to be out in 60 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, and we're sitting outside for like 20 minutes waiting for him to come, but he he just gets stuck talking to these people. And he was so <laughs> mad when he came back out. Um, and you just think like, like that's how we had fun. We were trying to terrorize <laughs> these people. Um, and so if things could have just went wrong so quickly. Yeah. Um, I just remember, so I was in a martial arts class in Harvey and um, we were pretty advanced. So we had keys to the dojo so we can go in and practice when we wanted to. And there were like eight of us outside of the dojo trying to unlock the door and the police come and, you know, this is whole thing about like, you can't be in big groups, but a big group is technically nine people. There's only eight of us. <laughs> and I'm like, there's only eight of us. Um, <laughs> and so you just think about like, that's not the best time to be like smart. Right. right? <laughs> and so he's like, y'all need to break it up. Y'all got to leave. And then when we open the door and go into the school, they think that we break into it. Oh, of course. Um, and so it's this whole big thing. Um, and you just think like, I mean, there's so many situations where it could have went wrong. Um, so, I mean, it, it was, but it's perfectly fine. I spent a lot of my time hanging out on the South side of Chicago and, um, that's where all my friends lived and mm -hmm. it was cool. I, I never thought about it. Um, it was just kind of my world. And yeah. so I just think one of the more interesting things that happened was that in my whole life, up until I went to college, I had never once in real life seen an Asian person. Mm. Um, just, you know, just never saw them. Yeah. And then I, I get to Northwestern and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, Asian people, they're so cool. And the, my very first interaction with an Asian person was them telling me that black people were taking the spots of deserving Asian people. <laughs> and I'm like, man, screw you. Right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, just, you know, your lens is just sure. so uh, so caught up in, in your own world. Right. Um, you don't realize, like, how big it is. Right. Dude, like, Asian people are just the same way, too. They're like, <laughs> they're, their world is so small, you know, especially, like, if you come from and you're surrounded with like the you're living in a neighborhood with the same people it's it's you you don't even think about venturing out because it's like well why you know and then that's the beauty about about college and even like selective enrollment schools it's like you you're kind of introduced to to people that you never you know th ever thought of before and you kind of see how like you fit in and and you know what you kind of question like your own types of values because I mean, for me growing up, I was in a, I went to a predominantly white Catholic school. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time though, like the, you know, West Rogers park and East Rogers park was, was like relatively diverse. And so, um, you know, there were, I did have some black friends. I did have some uh, Latino friends and they, they, they kind of shaped my understanding about who I was only because I was able to relate to them on, you know, uh, like just being middle class and just being um, a person of color too. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you kind of don't realize how many commonalities you actually have with them. Um, you know, big families, um, dysfunctional families, mm -hmm. like it all kind of runs in that. Um, and for you, how was it like, because you have a white mom mm -hmm. and you have a black father, how was it like being growing up like multi-ethnic? Was it you had a lot of friends who were the same way too? 
Yeah, so no. Um, so it's fascinating, right? So when I, up until I was eight or nine, I had no idea that like, I hadn't, I'm, there's just no concept of race to me, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I had this white mom, I have this black dad. That's just how it is. Not a big deal. And then, cause I, I grew up in Country Club Hills um, those first eight years. And at the time, Country Club Hills was um, very multi-ethnic. Mm. Um, now it's mostly um, black um, individuals who live there. But um, so at the time, it's very multi-ethnic. And then I moved to Harvey and that was the first time anyone ever called me black. Um, okay. So I, I, you know, no realization of it, whatever. And then you start to realize like, all right, so if I'm I'm this black person navigating this world, but I'm really I'm mixed, right? So I'm you know I have this white mom. Like, what does that mean? And you realize society doesn't care, right? Mm. Um, my mom comes with us to try to pick up our report cards, and they won't give it to her mm. um, because they don't think that she's our mom. And mm. you know we go to see her family, and her family doesn't like us because we're black. And we see my father's family; they don't like us because we're white. And it's like this whole thing. Um, and you're just kind of like clashing over like things that really. Um, in the grand scheme of things mean nothing. Um, and so it was just really fascinating. My mom, she grew up, she was, so she's from Minnesota and then she just leaves home when she's 13 and she drifts down to new Orleans and she had the opportunity. She had to, you know, she made a choice. So, you know, to live on one side of town or the other and one side of town was like all black and the other side of town's all white. And she said the black people were having more fun. So that's where she lived. Mm -hmm. And so my mom has never, you know, since she was 13, hasn't been really around majority white people Mm -hmm. either. She's been mostly around black people. Um, And so I very much so identify with, you know, black culture and being black and, you know, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, my father's from the South. He's from Mississippi. Um, he was a military man, um, very strict. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like like those types of things are more of what shaped me, I would say, than like race, um, kind of explicitly in that way. Race really only mattered in when I was interacting in society, kind of like wider. So mm-hmm. when I worked at Burger King, being called the N-word for the first time mm-hmm. um, in a non-like, you know, colloquial sort of with my friends kind of way, like someone like being very racist towards me. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, you know, how do you act when that happens? And, you know, I'm 16, so I tried to jump over the counter at him, right? Yeah. Um, Whereas now, if someone did that, I would just, you know, I don't know what I would do. You know, tell them I'm more educated than them and walk away, right? Like, I don't know. Um, And so it just just depends, right? Um, I do think that one of the more interesting things is that when people find out that I have a white mom, they're very fascinated by mm-hmm. it because they're like, well, you don't act white. Right. right. And so well, what does a white people, you know, what does a white person do, mm-hmm. you know, different than a black person or, or someone who's uh, Latinx or someone who's Asian, like, like what are, what are differences? Yeah. And, you know, language and food really. Exactly. Um, there's, you know, we, we have some different customs, but for the most part, like, you know, we all, we do the exact same things. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause like I didn't, I wasn't aware of my Asianness mm-hmm. until like the food, right? right. Like I would, <laughs> I, the first time I brought like Filipino food to, to grade school, they, 
they were like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. And I, from then on, just like, nope, I want the Lunchables. I want the, I want the, the pizza rolls. Like I want the sandwiches. I don't, I don't want to stick out. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, Dave Chappelle was always like, yeah, the division is in our, our foods. But I mean, <laughs> you, you kind of, you appreciate that when you get older. Like right. I never really thought of myself as a Filipino and how important my identity was until like later on in my, you know, adult life. Mm-hmm. Because for me, I was just trying to fit in. My dad, who also came from a military family, he 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 listened to talk radio. You know, he he wanted to assimilate as well. He wanted to fit in. He hung out with every type of person and he was friends with with a lot of people because I think a big part of it was just trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. And um there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, and I like how you said that it's, it's more of kind of the upbringing of, you know, your, your parents and the values that they pass onto you that really shape you more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my nephew, he's half black, he's half Filipino. And really what shapes him more so is just the amount of different personalities that he interacts with. Mm-hmm. I mean, this kid is, uh, I have, my wife has a family from the Philippines who immigrated over here and he's interacting with them. He's interacting with, a, you know, he's got a lot of friends. And that really is shaping who he is. Because he's he has to interact with di- varying personalities. And his social skills are just, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Everyone right. loves him. He's such a good boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has to just do with the amount of love that you get from, you know, his mom, his dad, his his uh, his relatives, he's just surrounded by a strong community mm-hmm. and a strong family. And I think at the end of the day, regardless of who you are, that's that's really important. Um, and so that that's that's really that's great, man. Uh, what else was it that that kind of shaped you? I mean, the adversities that you faced, obviously, uh, your hearing was one of them. Anything else that that kind of you struggled with when you when you were growing up? So I think about like, um, so I have an older brother. He's a year older than me. And my father would let him do things that require like strength. Yeah. Because I just wasn't as strong as he was. Because, you know, when you're a kid, a year, I mean, is a big difference. Now we can do the same things and, you know, not that big of a deal. But, you know, when we were 9, 10, 11, I mean, that was a, there was a huge kind of like gap between us. Um and so he, my brother ends up doing all these things. So like, um, my brother helped fix the car or he would, um, you know, mow the lawn or he would do all these things. Whereas I like wasn't allowed to because I couldn't wield the lawnmower the same way. Like mm-hmm. it, you know, it carried me. And so that's probably why I ended up reading all the time was cause it was just something I could do. Yeah. Um, and so my, you know, like little things, my brother would mow the lawn and I would have to sweep the grass, um, which in retrospect is a dumb activity, <laughs> but, um, you know, like, like, you know, stuff like that where yeah. you don't even think about it. Um, I got identified as being gifted in school. Um, and so then they, they pull me out of the classes and they teach me more than they teach everyone else. And, you know, that's wrong, but you know, that's a different topic for a different day. Mm -hmm. Um, and like that impacts me. And then, um, 
you know, my father was older too. Mm. So when he passed in 2008, he was 81. Mm. Um, and so when I was born, he had to be like 64. And so he was just really, really, really old school. Um, and yeah. those were the types of things that he, you know, you just really did these things in this very particular way. Um, and, and that really impacted me too. Um, my mom, they got divorced when we were like five or six. We saw my mom all the time. They were great friends. Um, you know, she would come and hang out. It wasn't that big of a deal. It never felt weird. Um, whereas some people, you know, their parents have real like issues and then, you know, that, that really impacts them. And that didn't really hurt very much. Um, although it was the first time I said a cuss word, mm -hmm. um, and my mom <laughs> slapped me. Um, and that was, I didn't even know it was a cuss word. It's different. Um, and so I, yeah, I had to be like six. Was um, it, was, was it a good fuck or was it like a no it was <laughs> i said so you know and it's, it's stuff i say all the time now but i said piss right okay and so you know where my mom's moving i said you know all of this going back and forth is pissing me off and she slapped me so sure. hard um and i you know to me now i still don't think piss is a bad word but apparently it is so you know you can't say it i got now i want i will never say that around my mom ever <laughs> Not gonna happen, right? Um, and so, like, just stuff like that. Or right. um, I always somehow managed to get a new, the the new teacher for yeah. the grade, um, who was very like bright eyed, and you know they're saving the world, and they're not like you know sad about the educational system or anything. Right. And that really kind of like helped me, because um, they they wanted me to do better, mm -hmm. um, and that helped a lot too. But I also, um, a very funny story, me and my brother worked at the same place. So we both worked at Burger King. And when he was supposed to go off to college, he just didn't. Uh -huh. um, the day he was supposed to go, he came into work and we were like, what are you doing here? He's like, uh, he didn't have the deposit. And anyone would have given him the deposit. So that was very fascinating. And so once I got into college, um, and I think like June rolled around. She she fired me. The manager fired me. She goes, "You're not gonna do what he did. You're done. Oh You're fired." God. You know, and it's just like, really? Um, and so then I had to get a new summer job, which ultimately ends up being research at Northwestern. Okay. Um, and so it's like this really great thing that just ends up happening. Um, That's good. And it's like the only job I've ever been fired from was just because she didn't want me to do the same thing that my brother did. Sure. Yeah. Um, and like all that sort of stuff was, was very fascinating, but I, I do think I had a great extended family through my friends, mm -hmm. um, their parents keeping us in line. Sure. Um, I, I remember I, me and my brother, we fought all the time mm -hmm. until I went to college. So 18, mm -hmm. um, and we would blow for blow, especially when I, you know, got bigger. Um, and I go to one of my friend's houses after he and I get in a fight and I don't talk to her, uh, his mom. And when I, you know, go and I'm like, cool down. And she just like goes in on me about how I don't come into someone's house and not mm -hmm. speak. And, you know, if you come into a room, and there's somebody there, you have to talk to them. It doesn't matter what mood you're in. Um, and that kind of thing, like you know, just sits with me. So no matter what mood I'm in, if I'm walking a room, hi, everybody. Right, you know? right, right. right. Um, and the, just those little lessons. Sure. Um, and then I end up in an industry where 
when I'm talking to people, you know, I have to make them feel welcomed and, right. you know, all of that. And it's, I didn't talk a lot when I was a kid. So the fact that I'm in a talking profession is also very fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I'm, I'm pause real quick. I got to take a piss. Sorry. Uh, I messed up the, the momentum there, but, um, yeah, you were saying, you were saying that it's, it is interesting that now you're, if it's again, and that's why I, I, I really wanted you as a guest is it, you know, for you, it has come full circle. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like you, you're paying your way forward because of the circumstances that you are a part of, but also like now you're in the position to, to really affect lives, you know, to, to help kids see what it is that, um, not necessarily what colleges are looking for, but just reminding them that they're, they are worth something, mm-hmm. um, wherever they apply to. And, uh, I think what you're doing is a beautiful thing, man. Like just being, and I'm glad that you're getting something out of, of really interacting with these students. Um, and it certainly is kind of like a nice way to be a teacher without having to be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's super cool. Um, but yeah, that, that's great. I, I know. I, let's close up by, by me asking this question. What, what is the best or maybe even just some nuggets of important advice that you can give students who, uh, who are really at this point now where it's like, okay, I have to apply. I have to make the, the decisions, the, the big decisions. I'm scared. I'm worried. You know, what, what are some, uh, words of, of wisdom or at least just, um, peace of mind for, for those students who are ready to, to kind of take this next step? Yeah. I think one of the, the things that we, um, are taught to do just through consumerism is to, you know, believe in the big brands and the big names and, um, just because you haven't heard of a school doesn't mean that it's not a great school. Um, and just because, you know, it's not the number one program doesn't mean you can't become the best in that field. Um, it's really important to just kind of know yourself and to know the, the types of things that you're interested in and like how you're going to develop and the sorts of places that it's important to be. Um, there are lots of things that we think about or, you know, you should think about when, you know, think about where you're going to spend the next four years. And, it, it you know, it's like buying a house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where are you going to be at? What kind of environment do you want to be? Um, and it all, your counselors and your teachers will tell you about these things all the time. And you just don't listen because it's like, what do they know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, do you want to be in in the city, in the middle of all of it, you know, in the hustle and the bustle, or do you want to be just outside of it in a suburban area or, you know, would you be better in a rural area or, you know, who is it that you're asking to write your letters of recommendation and when are you asking them to do it? You know, you want to give them enough time to be able to write something great. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the area that you want to study, you know, unless the school requires that, but you also don't want, you know, to get a letter from the teacher of the class you did the best in just because you did the best in the class, maybe they don't like you, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you were really intelligent, but you treated your peers poorly right. and they're going to write about that. And I've read that last week. Um, 
And so, you know, that type of thing or the way that you present yourself in your application really does matter. You know, how many typos do you have throughout the whole thing? You know, are you paying attention to that type of thing? Um, you know, there aren't there isn't very much you can control anymore. You've already taken your classes. You've made the relationships that you have. Um, but, you know, the way that you present it is really important. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, there are a lot of things that you should consider. Um, but at the end of the day, just know that if you have the ambition to do well and to be able to do something with yourself, you're going to make that happen. It doesn't matter, you know, where you go to school. Uh, one of the things that's really important to me um, and for people to understand um, is that there's no shame in not knowing, right? Like if you don't know and you really don't want to spend $5,000, $6,000, $7,000 a year figuring it out, there's, there's nothing wrong with going to the community college, taking some classes, figuring out what it is that you like to do um, so that you can save some money. Um, like those types of things are things that we, we don't think about because it's not like the prestigious route. Um, my brother really wanted to be a mechanic. Um, like that's like his dream. Right. And he had all of these opportunities to make just really good money doing things that he's really good at. He's really good at talking to people and doing, you know, um, like restaurant management is definitely a thing that he could do really, really well, but because he really doesn't think that it's like this path that's going to be help his kind of social status. He just doesn't, he just doesn't do it. And so he takes these jobs as a mechanic that don't pay very well because he's not a certified mechanic. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just think about like, maybe your skills don't line up with like your, you know, this dream that you have. Right. Um, everyone can't be a doctor. And so if you don't like the sight of blood, how are you going to be a doctor? You know, or if you can't do calculus, how are you going to be a doctor? Um, you know, you're bad at lab sciences. You know, like these are things to think about. Um, and there are so many more jobs. You could be yeah. an admissions counselor. And like that's a job that you don't even – every time I go into school, the kids ask me if I'm getting paid. Mm -hmm. You know, and I make the joke to the kids all the time. You know, whether or not you ask me any questions, I'm going to get paid, mm -hmm. right? And they're just so in shock that I get paid to, like, run around to schools and talk to them. Um, and there are just so many different things that you can do with, you know, the skills that you have. And that, you know, when you go to school, you're not learning a job necessarily. You're learning how to think so that you can get a job that you love to do. Mm. Um, and maybe you get lucky like me and you end up in a job that you love to do on accident, you know, two years out of college. And, you know, you're just have these dreams of moving up in the organization now, you know, or, you know, maybe you don't know what it is that you want to do, but you start gaining skills from all these different places. One of the people that I like to talk to at Northwestern, she has a law degree. Um, she was a lawyer for a little bit. She was general counsel at a college. But one of her favorite things that she would do was because she was one of few black staff members there. 
at the school, the black students just loved to talk to her. Mm-hmm. But she was so busy because she was, you know, general counsel at the school that she decides, you know what, I'm going to go and work in academic affairs so that I can talk to these kids, so that I can guide them. And, you know, the job opportunities, I mean, they just they just show up. Yeah. You know, if you're there, it will happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't worry so much about like, you know, this major doesn't make any money mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it's the skills that you have that make money. Yeah. Um, learning calculus as a math major probably is not going to help you, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm, you know, I majored in human development and psychological services. I don't do any counseling. Yeah. Um, and so, really, just thinking about. You know, what are the things that you like to do? And, and I keep saying that, and I know that I'm like really hammering this home, but it's really important. I read so many applications where kids do fine in math, but definitely aren't, you know, going to make it through multivariable calculus. Like it's just mm-hmm. not in their cards and they want to be doctors. And you think, why? Why do you want to be a doctor when? You know, I see that all of the things that you do, you know, have to do with journalism. Mm -hmm. Why not be a journalist? Um, And, you know, if you do a job, money will follow you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's well said. And, um, you know, you can kind of see a little bit of people's regrets in the jobs that they're in now. Like they're... I know people who are just unhappy, mm-hmm. you know, and part of it is I have to, this is something that my parents wanted, or this is kind of like the family expectation. Um, this is a role that I have to fulfill and it's nothing that I want to do, but I have to do it. Mm-hmm. It's lucrative, you know, et cetera. It, and so I, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of people really don't pay attention to, to following your passion and doing what you want. That's, that's, that's not easy. It's certainly hard you know, uh, easier said than done. Um, but it's, it's something that I think students need to know now before, you know, they dig themselves into a hole. Um, just kind of just being true to themselves. Yeah. 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 But dude, and thank you so much for coming by. It was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Um, and thank you so much for, for giving your insight and, uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, man. Thank you. If you have any questions for Rob, email him at robertellis811 at gmail.com. Hey, I'm taking my sweet time off.